More than half of all companies globally are family-owned or operated. Family businesses contribute 70% of the world's GDP and account for 65% of jobs. Their voices are important. Their stories must be told. Brought to you by the award-winning publication, Tharavat Magazine. This is the Family Business Voice with your host, Ramya Elagami. Kulila Art, mending the future through the wisdom of the past. Michael Connolly, or Mundagutu Kuliwari, which means you know me before you see me, founded Dreamtime Kulila Art in the early 1990s to illuminate the rich cultural history of Australia's central desert people. The path to economic prosperity was not an easy one for an artist who spent much of his early life in the Australian bush. His hard work, however, coupled with a growing interest in Aboriginal art, helped propel Connolly's craft and business onto the global stage. We sat down with Michael to discuss the significance of Aboriginal art and the culture in today's society, and how its message might influence the next generation to write a better chapter in our collective story. Enjoy this episode with Michael. Can you tell us a little bit more about Kalili Art? Like, we'd love to first understand a little bit more about uh, your business and what it is that it does. And if you wouldn't mind just giving us an intro. Yeah, well, Kalili Art started from what about early or late 1990s, sort of like that, or like, yeah. I came out of the bush and I was a bit rough around the ridges. And my wife, Joe, said, Well, we'll paint. So, my uncle, sent me some drawings, learned a couple of videos with my dad, painted a few, and then I had to learn how to go and sell. So I went in economic development. I was a bit shy and Joe go with me and then I would have to talk to people, which I never used to do much. And then I started to build a business. So I went from there to going to markets, then I got offered to go to Singapore, Brunei, Queensland government. And then I was offered to uh, go to Malta. And mm. then I went to Singapore again. And then I went to an exhibition in Brunei and then had an wow. exhibition in uh, Switzerland. And then, yeah, so it's opened my eyes up of the world and opened my eyes up of people that were interested in in the Aboriginal art, and so Connolly Art is Connolly's K-U-L-L-I-L-L-I, which is my father's land where I was born on, and my mother's land is Mutawari, M-U-W-A-U-W-A-R-I, and that's northwest of New South Wales, and I come from southwest Queensland. So under our dreaming and our songs and our storylines, I connect to those countries in the Central Desert, mm-hmm. in Pindanjara. It's the central desert people of the Kalali is a word of the Pindanjara, meaning to listen. And then we have connection to the southeastern Aranda through the Rainbow Valley and the stories and the wedge-tailed eagle and the snake that came from South Australia and created the waterways. So Mundagara is who I am, the creator, and the man who they know you before they see you. So everybody knows my stories. They know of me. They know of Kalali art. And... Here we are today after 25 years. Incredible. 
When you put it summarized like that, it sounds like, you know, it all fell to place eventually, but I'm sure it was quite a quite a challenge for you as well, since you've established a business which was, of course, so closely connected to your own identity and your heritage. Um, you, you mentioned just now in the first part of your answer, you mentioned that you were somewhat surprised to see such a global interest, actually, in the Aboriginal arts, like, and, and you were positively surprised, I think. Do you think that was always actually the case and it just never reached the rest of the world? Or do you really believe that an interest, that an awakening came on maybe in the last sort of like 10 to 20 years? In the 60s and 70s, it became more prominent in the Central Desert people because people were seeing the style of the Central Desert people with the dots and their stories. So they created from the dirt to the canvas and then they told the stories of the desert and then the mali mali, which is how we could leave our bodies at night and fly across our land and come back and in the morning we could draw country. Mm-hmm. So one day they took a man up from the desert in a plane. He'd just done a painting and it was exactly what he'd seen from the ground they flew him over the plane. So it's about knowing your country and knowing you. So that was in the late 60s, early 70s. Mm. And that's when the Central Desert art became the number one in the world. So everybody started to go to Alice Springs to get their art. Arnhem Land was another one where people started to look at East Arnhem Land from out from Darwin. And then our smaller nations that were connected to these tribal lands, a few of our people started to paint and then okay. tell stories. Yeah, And that's how we become to tell the stories, not from the dirt, but to put it on canvas and tell the story. So that's yeah. how it became in the 80s and then to the 90s and then here we are now where Aboriginal art is copied by, and this is another thing with the problems with this, the copied art because people see it now as a dollar mm. and it's gone from the creation, the stories, the tell the stories about our people in our country, the people are copying it put it on garments and shirts and then selling it. And now it's become globalised, a very multi-million million dollar business, but probably 10% only go to the Aboriginal people. The rest are going to the coffers of the non-Indigenous peoples of the world who they see it as a dollar. What do you think, Michael? Why is it hard for you to gain rights to the things that are naturally yours, really, and that source from your culture? Do you have an explanation for why it is it's so difficult to penetrate and make people much more aware of that fact? Well, we've been going through this for the last 10 years and mm-hmm. the last two and a half, three years, it's come more prominent because one of our politicians said that they talk about money for Aboriginal people in the communities where art is their source of income. Mm-hmm. So now people are copying, as I said before, copying it and bastardising our art but they haven't got a law, as they say, Mm. in this country to support Indigenous culture. Mm -hmm. So we're still working with government and have been for 10 years. And I've been, or Joe and I, were charged for defamation for naming Benjamin Wooster from Byrubi Art, who was taken by the ACCC and charged $2.3 He went to liquidation, started another business up and charged us with defamation for naming and shaming his business. So we have the multi-million dollar people who've been getting their art and artefacts done in Indonesia and China for 50 cents and selling it here for $10. Mm. 
and we'd make our own products and they won't buy us because the cost of our living in this country is so mm-hmm. high. So, and Boomerang for wholesale is about 7 to $10, where they get theirs handmade and painted in Indonesia for 50 cents. Mm. So we've been trying to stop this, and this is where it's all come unstuck, that the money value for us is 5%, 10%, where mm. them, they're 90%. Mm-hmm. So we've been working with government, and government says, yeah, yeah, we're putting people together now, copyright people, and we're putting this together. I said, speak to the traditional people. So they had a had a Australia-wide um, inquiry and they had all the information of what's going wrong. Well, now they haven't found how to put it together to support our people. Yeah. And I said to them in Canberra, I said, well, how about putting me up on, on the committee and I'll tell you exactly how it's going wrong. I'll tell you what laws you need to be. If it's not made by Aboriginal people of this country, and Torres Strait Islander people, do not, and I said do not make it saleable to the interested people, um, especially the uh, tourists. Mm. And, yes, Michael, um, well, when we organise our committee, well, we'll work out who we're going to put on and then we'll go from there. Well, that's 12 months ago. So this is the problem we've got. It's become a billion-dollar business with 10% going to the Aboriginal people. If... 10% 10% lucky, and there's about 25 to 30,000 artists in Australia who are lucky to get 10 or 15,000 a year, and the rest of the money goes to the multinationals. That's a frustrating fact to be confronted with, and, and that's a frustrating reality to be confronted with, and one that you fought against, not just in the arts, but on many levels of your people's rights in your country. How do you motivate the next generation to still practice the art and to still like, you know, um, live the traditions. If there is this sense of disenfranchisement that obviously is very prevalent, right? Like even in, in your own, um, in your own art being commercialized beyond your own gains, how do you motivate your next generation? Uh, do you see that there is still motivation from them to say like, or do they feel like, you know, we give up anyways, not, none of this ever comes to us or how do you do that as a, as a community? Well, I've just went through a lot of stuff with native title on the Kalalee, and the young ones aren't interested. Like, I'm passionate about being on country, walking every year on country and artefacts and finding new stuff and bush medicine, and I say to the young ones, why aren't you interested? Why? They said, we can't make money out of that. I said, can. But the young ones seem that they don't have that passion like I have. Mm. So I want to teach my children, I want to teach my grandchildren but we're falling away every year because the young ones see mobile phones. They see, you know, the way of the life of the of the young people. They don't mm-hmm. see it as we see it from the old days. I'm 63-year-old, you know, yeah. and I brought up on a stolen generation idea where mum and them removed from country. They lived in towns. They changed their identities so the government wouldn't say to us, mum hit us boys because they didn't want us to be taken away when they was away driving. See, there's always this rejection and neglect Mm -hmm. by governments and that as long as they want you to become assimilated. And the Mm -hmm. Assimilation Act of 1890, and our grandmothers were on that, and it's gone from there to what do we do today? And, yes, your question is can we work the younger ones to the next generation? Well, maybe it's not one or two, but Mm -hmm. to go to a country, see, a lot of our people have been removed from country for four generations. 
So they wouldn't know what to look like on country. We were out there for native title and they had no idea what they're looking at. Country doesn't read to them anymore. I read country. I live on country. I smell country. I listen to country. The young ones say, ah, for the native title for the mining, we're here for the $1,500 for the week. I don't care what happens. So we're slowly losing the race in that way. And the governments, that's why the governments won't do anything for you in the arts because they're hoping that it's all going to slowly fall over. It's just going to go away. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and this is the saddest thing, you know, that I found over the last 30 years. But then, I mean, particularly, I mean, maybe we also need to talk about particularly the fact that, you know, you're in an art business, of course, art being such an important way of capturing where we are as a society, where, you know, where we came from, et cetera. And, And I think we have to, because you and I are having this interview and conversation right now in the midst of a global pandemic, I do think, feel like we, we must link these things up with each other and understand how this positions also all the wisdom that you're saying that your people are now about to lose if the next generation doesn't take interest or like all the culture that's about to go away. Because it seems to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to me like the current situation that we're facing with this pandemic actually calls for a lot of the things that we seem to have forgotten or that we're trying to make the Aboriginal people let forget through this neglect, right? Like, and it seems that a lot of that is actually highly relevant. A lot of that wisdom and that knowledge is highly relevant right now for us to rebuild a more sustainable kind of economy and more sustainable value creation. I just wanted to know your thoughts on this, Michael. Well, if you go back to the human race, they walked the land, the animals ate the grasses and the trees, And this is how I've seen it, is you've taken away the trees, you've taken away the coal, you've taken away the oil, you've taken away the gas. The birds are not eating the fruit and spewing it back into the earth. The earth isn't regenerating. It's medicine for the earth. It's the circle of life. The animal eats the plant, shits the plant out, goes into the earth, regenerates, gives more plant, cleans the sky, cleans the earth, cleans the food, and in the ground we have coal. Now, coal is the greatest cleanser of water. When we were kids, they used to have charcoal and throw it in a water hole, leave it for a couple of days and clear the water. So the coal is the cleansing of the water in the earth, Mm. and the oil and the gas are the minerals that support this. So we have plants, the oil, the gas, the coal, the birds, the uh, ground animals, and they all generate and turn it around. So when humans come along, they know what fruit to eat. They know what animals to eat. They know what where all the vitamins come from. So what's happened is Mother Nature's had enough. She's given everything that could be acknowledged So now there's no trees. Now the animals are sick. So they're spewing the sickness on the ground. The people are eating that. And here we are, a virus. So if we stop and we regenerate, leave the coal alone, leave the oil and the gas alone, go back on country, regenerate, regrow, repropagate, and make areas go. Everything just goes round in circle and there's nothing for the land. There's no trees to land on. 
there's nothing for the land, there's nothing to do, and all of a sudden we've got sickness. So mm. now Mother Nature says, well, hey, I'll kill 30 million of you fellas. Mm. Wake up yourselves. Come back. Become friends. Become unity. Become humans and regrowth the land, regrowth the trees, regrowth the animals, and we come back to life. Do you have a positive outlook for the next generation? We spoke about the next generation of, of your community, but also a more positive outlook for the next generation globally, because we know, of course, so for instance, I'm what you'd call a millennial, I guess, uh, you know, my generation and the generation that came after me, it does seem like this generation and the generation after us speaks more about environment, speaks more towards like, you know, of finding rootedness again, etc. Do you see the same thing? Are you more optimistic about like what comes now in terms of a human generation or do you say like you're worried about it just still across ages what you what you're seeing i think the biggest thing here is no one's asking the question mm. because they had a walk on the street with the children from school you mm. know to save the world to stop cutting the trees to do this and mm. they said no go back to school and learn it's become mm. a political gender mm. political in every country, are worried about how many votes they can get. So if they can educate people to vote for them, but what are they going to give the community? What are they going to give society? Mm. They only create what is good enough for government. I hesitate in calling uh, Kulila Art a business, right? Like Because it's really a, it's a, it's a life's purpose for you and it has everything yeah. to do with your identity. It's hard to call something like that a business. I think, uh, you know, but let's talk about it though, like just as a sort of like a, an understanding of where you see, because of course this situation must have also impacted how you see yourselves going forward with, with your art and what you're doing. So tell us, how are you strategizing for the future now? Like, and, and also is that part, is that part of your thinking? Do you, do you plan ahead? Well, after today, and um, we're speaking about this, I done a big mural last week at school hmm. and the story about how they're teaching their children away from school mm. is exactly what you're doing and I'm doing now. Mm. We're teaching each other mm. by this virtual reality. So the new world is if people cannot come to visit you, we'll use the new spiritual world of this, the IT, and then I come to your house and then we're going to set up where you can come to me in my shop And you can visit me. I can tell you the story of that art piece. I can tell the story of how we made a nice bag out of it. I can tell you what it means to buy the product, to feel how Connolly Art is a fully operational Aboriginal business of Australia. And I have two children. My son's 27, 28, married. My daughter's 26, going to the army. My wife, and she supported me because I needed a bit of help because I'm not very educated, but I have great people around me who have given me confidence to support Colourly Art and I'm the speaker. I've always been a speaker and I don't need any, any paperwork to speak. I can sit with people and the questions flow from the people because they're interested. So then we tell the story of Colourly Art. So this new virtual idea we have now of you and me is the way that I see today that with education, They're doing kids at home because of the virus, but they're teaching them how to be, you know, to learn math, how to learn English, to have a job. So currently, uh, I'm 
working is going to be this virtual now daughters very good at IT can set anything up. So we're going to organize these little talks and going to showcase part of the business and coming out will be this hundred thousand year old Aboriginal man is now in the new world of 21st century talking like this. Instead of the mummy mummy and the dreamy, we're talking like this and saying this is my business, this is my story, this is my art. I'll tell you about it. So if you buy some of this art and we'll put it on a nice bag for you so you can wear the bag, you feel proud that you're supporting an Aboriginal business of Kalali art and the part of my Murubari, my mother, and the Kalali, the two nations of the Central Desert Connections, and this is our story, this is our dream, and this is our future. This is about what we're trying to teach and educate. Educate is the great word. You cannot educate by shooting somebody. You can educate by sitting around the campfire and telling the story of the fish, the medicine, and how we can be in, as one and as the joint of the human race to learn each other by the campfire and become that one unity to walk down their rivers together and grow the plant. Well, Michael, I think you've given us much needed lessons. And uh, thank you very much for a lot of perspective on the current situation as well. And I think it's a beautiful gift that you're giving us, that you're embracing this technology and uh, also allowing us from far, far away to potentially yeah. enjoy your art uh, through these means. And uh, I, I really look forward to participating there as well and to hearing more of your uh, of the stories and more of the, the background of your art. And I look really forward to that. And thank you so much for opening that up to the rest of the world as well as your own community. Really appreciate it. No worries. Thank you. Anytime. And that's another thing, see. That's another thing. It's never late. The time has come and people have got to throw the clock away. Mm. Because if we look at it as who brought the hours in, who brought the days in, The millionaires brought that in. Mm. But in the old days, the seven seasons, the seasons of the birth of the tree, the seasons of the plant, the season of the birds, the season of the animals, that is what the human race ran on. We didn't run on, on a clock. Mm. We ran on the sun come up. It moved to a certain time of the year, winter, summer, autumn. We didn't know that. All we knew was the birth of the butterfly. Mm. The birth of the plant, the birth of the seed, that was our food. That was our story. It was never by a clock. I couldn't have ended this conversation on a better note. I think. <laughs> never by a clock. I love it. <laughs> yeah. a, what a liberating thought, Michael, to leave everyone with. Thank you so much it for is. doing this interview with us. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Family Business Voice. Subscribe to our channels now on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher or Spotify to be notified of our weekly episodes.